morning, good morning. Welcome to Racial Equity Enrichment, the web series. I'm your host, Ebony Walden, and this is a component of the Richmond Racial Equity Essays Projects, where we're asking Richmonders from all walks of life to discuss their thoughts on what is a, what would an equitable Richmond look like and how do we get there. We're joined this morning with Melody Short and Adrian Cole, Cole Johnson. Uh, thank you, ladies, so much for being here. Um, I'm excited to have y'all, excited to have all this black girl magic on the screen today um, and just chat it up with you guys. So as we get started, I would just love y'all to do a quick introduction of yourselves. Like, who are you? What do you do in the daytime? How long you've been living in Richmond? Adrian, you want to start? Yeah. I'll jump in. Hello, hello, Ebony. Thanks for having us here. I'm Adrian Cole Johnson. How long have I been living in Richmond? I was trying to do the numbers quickly. In all of my 40 plus years, about 29 total. So as a baby through college, 18, and I've traveled the world. And then I think I've been back for about 11 years now. So I've seen a lot of Richmond, um, you know, spent a lot. It's a lot of my work in community and creative spaces, um, you know, um, working around engagement, always passionate about um, outcomes for Black folks. Um, and so that's been a theme through most of my work. Lovely. And what about you, Melody? I am a native of Richmond, left at 17 and came back after having my daughter. So I think I've been back uh, for maybe almost 12 years now. Yep, and so I do the work of small business development, particularly in support of Black-owned businesses in Richmond. I've been able to do that work for the past 20 years across the nation, um, and last year just made the decision to plant both feet here in the city and um, do more of the work here in Richmond. Y'all like go back and forth, but we are glad to have y'all back. I've only been in Richmond uh, seven years, but heard both of y'all names. Uh, when I first got here. So tell me a little bit before we get into the questions about y'all's work together. Y'all have done several projects together. Just give our viewers just a, just a flavor of the dynamic duo that you both are. <laughs> no honesty. I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest. So I'm going to tell Melody she has to take this question. Pull that card. We have, um, as we shared, the times that we've returned back to Richmond, we didn't grow up knowing each other, ironically enough. Um, but Adrian and I had the good fortune of connecting um, both uh, upon our return to Richmond for family reasons. And um, we both have had these vast experiences across the country, whether it be going to school or doing work in different cities um, around community development. And so we were introduced and we, we clicked immediately. And so um, early on, it was, it'll be 10 years later this year, we launched the Artisan Cafe. And so we both really wanted to have the opportunity of having similar experiences that we have been afforded in other cities, DC, New York, places that we've lived, Adrian, St. Louis. Um, and we saw that in Richmond, there was this bustling art scene taking place, but it was not um, fully representative of those who live here in the city, particularly speaking black people and women. And so the Artisan Cafe was born to give um, black uh, to give all, essentially, but particularly speaking, we wanted to make sure Black folks had the opportunity to use the gifts that they had been um, blessed with to create some additional income for their family, whether it be full-time or whether it be um, to supplement their income. And so we did it in a very fun way. We created these experiences. We brought Black people to art galleries and spaces before, you know, we love seeing that it's happening now, but 
we did get that started about 10 years ago so that we would feel comfortable and that the institutions and the powers that be welcomed us, you know. Um, and so we know that there's, you know, there's a lot of work to be said around uh, a need for equity in the art spaces. And I would like to think that we kicked that initiative off about 10 years ago. And so fast forward to present day, we continue our work, um, but now in the form of the Richmond Night Market. And so um, now we give the artists a more consistent platform to be able to connect with their uh, customers, but also connect with the community. Right. So I love I love this combination of like uh, your engagement and then the business focus. It's like, boom, y'all put that together in those particular endeavors. And they've definitely been just enriching for enriching for Richmond, which is growing and changing. But Sometimes I wonder, are we cultivating space for folks of color? And I love that y'all have created these spots, right? Because I feel like Richmond still seems like a tale of two cities. So, so bringing our voice and giving us platforms is really, really important. So let's jump into the questions. Why don't y'all tell me from y'all's perspective, what was a, like, why are you doing the work you do? Can you, can you identify a pivotal moment or point in your life that led you to your current work? Wow. Um, and I'll tell you, um, when I got that question, there, there were so many. There were so many moments. I think um, I kind of believe in just having a journey in life, right? And you have these different points that you stop and they all are so significant. Um, and so there have been a lot of points on my journey. Um, I think one that really stood out to me was, is I was living in Ithaca, New York at the time. And um Solitude, right? Like a lot of people don't come to Ithaca. People have been in New York and not Ithaca, right? And Ithaca is gorgeous. That's what they say. It really is a beautiful place. But I was there. Um, I had finished college, you know, did, doing the traditional thing, right? You graduate high school, you finish up college. Um, and I chose to take a pause at that time. I was working in higher education. But I just really had one guy in question. What's my purpose? And I always have, been, have even been a child who thought about that. What's my purpose? Why am I here? Um, but I kind of started with my passion. And at that point in my life, and I had it been in my early 20s, I really identified my passion as um, Black, right? How we live, how we exist, um, how we find joy or not, right? Um, in this space, you know, just the world, but really thinking states-based. Um, and then also an active population. And so I knew that my work needed to be with folks who were active, folks who wanted to um, be involved, folks who wanted to see change and manifest it for themselves. And so, um, and again, Black folks, people of color, for sure. But as my lived experience, Black folks were really centered there. And so I knew that um, wherever my life went, I needed to have be working with an active population and people of color, in particular, center, centering Black people in that work. Um, so that was one that really stood out for me about why I was committed to kind of social work, social justice, education spaces, and even in business opportunities really have, have always had that focus. Was there something particular about Ithaca or that's kind of where you had that epiphany? That's where I was at. I kind of visualized. So I just remember being here in this beautiful space and having so much gratitude for, um, for where I had gone, where I had come, you know, the, the journey I had been on. But Ithaca just in nature is a beautiful space, mm -hmm. right? So their waterfalls. And so I was often having these thoughtful moments about passion and purpose 
outside, outdoors, right? Just like, how do I fit in all of this beauty, right? Um, so I do think, I will say, I don't think it's by chance that I was in Ithaca. I think being in that space allowed me some freedom. Breathing space, yeah. To do that. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I would imagine if you were in busy New York City, maybe you wouldn't have that much space to make. <laughs> Yeah. And first time not living in the South, right? So, I mean, I, at that point, I lived in yeah, Richmond. Yeah, I had lived in Norfolk for a very much. It was a different feeling altogether. Um, and I do think had a lot to do with the freedom that came in place with even giving myself space to explore what was most important. I love yeah. that. Absolutely. What about you, Melody? And, you know, to Adrian's point, I think um, there have been a few pivotal moments, but I would say the one that I am reflecting on most is actually very recent. Um, and I would say COVID, to be honest, you know, um, feel like I was at this, at this crossroad as a Black woman facing two pandemics, essentially, and really had to sit down and, and think about what's most important and what type of life I wanted to live. And for me, it's really about one that is full of joy freedom and service. And, you know, I've been doing this work of supporting Black businesses across the country for 20 years. And so I feel that I've been, um, I've been blessed in that regard to do work that I care about, but also with my people to help support and elevate their businesses. Um, with the exception of the work that I've done with Adrian, all of the, my work had been centered between like DC and Brooklyn. Um, for the most part. And the pandemic just, you know, had me thinking, what is it that I want my legacy to be? You know, how can I continue the work uh, that our ancestors were striving for to achieve a certain level of freedom? And um, for me, it's all about the economics in many ways, which is why I do the work in the small business space. And so I said, you know what, we have so many incredible examples, you know, our Black Wall Street, Jackson Ward, um, is, you know, one that's kind of lesser known, likely uh, due because of, you know, not really having tragedy associated with it. But we have so many um, examples of successful Black uh, entrepreneurs. And I said, you know what, I want to pour into my hometown. And the, the result became, you know, the birth um, in partnership with Rashida and Kelly of the Jackson War Collective, but also with me continuing that work. I really wanted to position myself so that I have two feet here in Richmond now. I'm not up and down the road but I'm able to be a full service to the Black business community. And so launched the Jackson War Collective with Rashida and Kelly. Um, in addition to the work that uh, Adrian and I do with the Night Market, um, I do a little work with the Metropolitan Business League, um, the Black Business Opportunity and Investment Study, just for data collection, because no one is being intentional about, you know, hearing from Black entrepreneurs, hearing, hearing their stories, what their needs are, as opposed to us assuming what those needs are, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, the, the elephant in the room is always capital. And so now I'm also working with Virginia Community Capital, which is a local CDFI to help, um, you know, pair Black businesses up with capital resources. So in one year, it has become full circle for me um, so that I can be of assistance to the Black business community in every aspect needed to, you know, establish a strong foundation for your business, but also scale if that's of interest to you. Yes, love that. It is full circle. Um, absolutely. So in that space, and then Adrian, you can think about it in, in your space, kind of you're in the education and sort of community engagement space. What, do you, what are the biggest inequities that you see, Melody, in the business space? You talked about access to capital, which is huge. What are some other things that you're seeing? 
Well, I mean, that that really is the huge thing. I mean, and, and our space is access to capital. I mean, there are others, but that money, you know, impacts, uh, you know, your ability to hire, your ability to gain access to a piece of real estate, um, your ability to buy the resources needed to just run your business. And so um, it's, it's a huge challenge. Um, and the piece that's most ugly is that there are a lot of uh, requirements that were put in place prior to the pandemic that remain in place. So it's like you have businesses that were not on a plan, the equal playing field prior to the pandemic, mm. but yet and still the measuring stick has not changed. And so one thing that I'm saying to these financial institutions is that, you know, you have to redesign the system. You know, I do remain optimistic that there's some change happening here in Richmond, uh, particularly with our CDFI, Virginia Community Capital, because they have recently made a commitment to Black entrepreneurs. And so I'm helping them with navigating that and saying, hey, you have to, you know, change this or you have to consider this um, if you really want to, uh, you know, have a, a real impact and ultimately get this money to the street. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Adrian? What are you seeing in your space? What are the big connections? Yeah, yeah I, um, and again, it's broad. I see it in my space and just throughout. Um, but for me, it really is about the people making decisions are not those that have the lived experience, right? And so um, that has always been an issue for me. Um, and so I often, when I try to look at kind of shifting culture and systems, you know, who should be in the room that's not in the room? And who are we giving power to? Because we have it. But who are we giving the power to to make the decisions um, that they aren't even living out, right? And so, you know, it takes a little bit of time to do, um, but I think it's always important to um, just assess, you know, are the, who are the stakeholders, right? And, and are we bringing in the stakeholders to stay in schools? Are students in the room, right? Are parents in the room? And not just the loudest parents, right? The parent that is not traditionally heard. Are we bringing them into the conversation? And then when those decisions that we're making, are we thinking about the child that doesn't have, or are we thinking about, say, our own children who may have all of the social supports, right? And so a lot of times when you shift who's in the room um, and shift where kind of power lies and making sure that power is just more proximate to the people who, um, who will be living out the decisions that are made, you often see a shift in how um, decisions are made, right? You see a shift to who we lean to, you know, who is an expert, right? Um, and while that can be uncomfortable for many who have built time to attain power and to attain position, um, for me, it's really important when we're looking at inequities um, to really look at, um, just look at who we identify as, as experts. Um, so I see it a lot in my field, but really across the board has always been something that kind of, kind of raise, always raise an eyebrow at that. I love that, Adrian. I just had to say that. I'm just thinking about, I mean, that's so important across the spectrum. I think about when we we're doing this uh, Black Business Opportunity Investment Study, a lot of that was uh, because we have historically just made decisions on behalf of the Black mm -hmm. business community. Um, and it's really been under the guise of um, minority, right? And so each group has its own set of needs and we don't know what they are until we go straight to the source, right? And so what I would say we have these calls, I said, we're all guilty of it. And I'm going to say myself included, even as a Black woman, have mm -hmm. we gone to them directly? Have we learned about their stories? Have we learned about mm -hmm. their needs? 
how have they even started their business? Because if it's been successful for them, are we even positioning ourselves to, you know, put resources in that same space so other people can find the success? So um, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I think yeah. it's so important. I think both of you kind of alluded to this whole mindset shift we kind of need in doing the work, right? The, the work of like, how about we actually talk to the people and engage the yeah. people and engage them as experts, the ones we're trying to quote unquote serve. And it takes a shift from all of us, right? Like, like I, you know, of like, okay, we like to be in service of others, but we need to do this work with people, whether it's with the business community or whether it's with folks in schools or uh, doing other community-based program. I think that's a huge mindset shift that we often, I was with one of my clients and I was like, okay, let's go back to racial equity 101. You came up with some great solutions, but did you engage the people that these solutions are quote unquote for? And they were like, how did we miss that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's like basic that's like community building one-on-one right adrian and adrian can speak to that Correct. more than myself Correct. we have models in place but if we shift from, you know centering ourselves and use what have already yeah. been i mean you know black yeah. people have been doing this work for a very long time <laughs> we don't absolutely. have to reinvent the wheel you know absolutely so. and what i think too is you know um it's it takes more patience mm-hmm. it takes intentionality and it takes really building authentic relationships to be centered in community right <laughs> you know you're not going to just walk in a neighborhood and think you're going to click your fingers no. and get it exactly. who is the person on what front stoop who do i need to talk to here who has been living here for generations and so again you know you look at a really um you look at a traditional um say school university model it's about an outcome it's about this is a I have to do and I need to get it done, right? Um, versus you look at a community-centric or even an African-centered approach, right? It's taking the perspective of the entire village, right? You're, you're listening to the youngest baby and the eldest elder, but again, it's slower. Um, but I think sometimes we want results, but we don't want to take the time to do it the right way. So it's the process as much as the outcome and so always really making sure that we, right, when we're in those spaces, we slow it down to say, because we've been here for a while, right? <laughs> racist. We've been here for a while. So if we're going to do something, let's do it the right way to make sure that we're impacting as many positively as we can. Yes. And I love yeah. that you said that, that equity is both a, a process and an outcome, because we're, we're, we're too often gunning for a different outcome, but we haven't changed the way we actually do things. And it's going to require, which I think we both alluded to, a changing of the way we do things to really impact the outcomes that we want to see. So I love that you all say that. How is the um, business opportunity study going? Like, how did y'all do that or build relationships with businesses? Melody, just um, as we're talking about that. It's going well and it's, um, it's exciting and it is emotional and it is just a reminder that, you know, again, there are people, our people have been doing this work. So when they see us young, you know, they consider us young generation coming around, you know, it's kind of like there's a protocol. There's a certain way in which, um, you know, things should be done to make sure that, as Adrian said, the youth are engaged, but the elders are engaged because there's wisdom, you know, there's, there's something that you can get from both and everybody in between. And so it's been well, it's been good. We are um, going to be putting everything together to come up with a report to kind of hopefully advise the city of Richmond, particularly economic development, 
um, on ways in which to collect the data ongoing um, mm, so that we yeah. are really prioritizing and centering Black businesses because up until this point, any data on Black business, again, was collected under the guise of um, minority under that umbrella and it's through like the census. And, you know, that's only ever so often and, you know, it's quickly outdated. Um, but I, and not to belabor this, but I'm getting all excited about this conversation. Adrian, um, I want to just also throw in like um, uh, sacrifice. Uh, you know, I think that like, yes, we have been at this table for so long, but um, we're constantly having, you know, going back to square one because of the inequities, because of systemic, uh, you know, racism and all the things that are in place. But I think that we also have to realize that there's a certain level of sacrifice that's required. So case in point, Adrian is doing the work, you know, to improve upon the educational system. It may require me putting, you know, and people don't want to hear this, but putting my dreams on pause for maybe a year or two or five years, you know, whatever it takes to kind of help elevate her work. You know, I think everybody has their time, but I think that um, we have to we have to be willing to to make th that type of sacrifice because again, that's removing yourself and that's centering the community and the work that needs to be done. Um, and I think that that's really important. I think if more of us did that, we would also be a little farther along than what we are. But I think, you know, we've just kind of been struggling as people for so long and I get the sentiments you want to get yours, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's really not about that if we're to elevate as a community uh, for uh, generations to come. Mm, yeah, I love that. I love that. That collective. Mm -hmm. But it's also it's collective. It, it sacrifices one end, but it's it's a collective encouragement, empowerment, and uplifting. Right. So I don't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't win unless we all win. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm winning by myself. Is that really? I mean. Yeah. Right. Um, in, my, in my essay, I was like, I guess I'm an anomaly, but who has time? Like, I want the rule to be Black prosperity. Like, I'm not okay yes. with just me winning. Okay, who do you do? Great. Like, but if, yes. unless I'm seeing Black people winning and that's the rule, like, that's, that's when I'm going to be happy, when we are, by and large, winning and we have flipped that script. So, so I absolutely love that. So second to last question. So your vision, one sentence or a couple sentences, your vision for racial equity in Richmond. So I wrote mine down. Okay. Adrian, Adrian can flow. From, You're good, Melody. Flow. Yeah, well, listen, <laughs> Melody good. has to have, <laughs> this is so that we, <laughs> Ebony is pleased with the guests that she's invited. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, I, so I, I thought about it. And so what I came up with was um, a public acknowledgement, um, you know, for both current, I would say, and past inequities to be accounted for, again, specifically around economics and race, mm -hmm. um, to rebuild the current infrastructures for the systems that are in place that have only positioned like the white community to thrive and for the black community to receive a form of reparation. Come on so now. That is, that's my vision. I love that. I love that. Acknowledgement and reparations because exactly. acknowledgement is not enough. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. All right. Be about it. Adrian, Be about it. Oh, I love that. Off the dome with yours. I love that. I like wrote a few words, but now it's so official. I love it. Um, so I wrote um, essentially what I talked about earlier, um, reframing power and influence, bringing it proximate to the people. Right. And I 
on a few different levels. It has to be in community, but it has to be in micro, meso, macro. That's my social work framework, right? It has to be amongst individuals, families, has to be in community, but has to be in institutions. So I think when we do a reframing of that power and influence, I think we see a significant shift. Yes, radical reframing. I love that. Radical reframing. Mm -hmm. Radical. And that's what we need, all of us, right? Because we've just, we've been, as Black folks, as Black women, have been impacted by these systems and structures as well. Yeah. We have to to pull ourselves from the matrix too. Absolutely. Yes, that's that's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've drank drank the juice as well. So, wonderful visions. (laughs) Give us, give us one or two things that you feel like we can do to help achieve the vision. Like what can you do? What can the city do? What can we as Richmonders do to help achieve that vision? So for mine, I would say just to, you know, ensure, I mean, there's several things, but, you know, ensuring that black people are provided resources, monetary resources, not just technical resources. We need cash. We need access to the capital opportunities, um, access to real estate. Um, and selected as decision makers in every single aspect of the systems that govern our lives Mm. here locally. That's very important. Um, You know, I think the representation uh, at the table matters. And if the table doesn't reflect the greater community at large, it will ultimately not benefit the greater community at large. So uh, capital, capital, I'm always talking economics because I do think that that is, that impacts every aspect, whether we're talking about food, whether we're talking about housing, the economics of it all is what's most critical. And that's the space that I um, obviously play in. Absolutely, show us the money. I, that's Mel. If if that if, if show us the money was the word was the word. <laughs> so many I love it. quotes from this conversation. I love it. I love it. I love the Mel. I have to say, the, I just love the consistency, right and. It's good. When, I mean, you're a driver. You are driving that home. So I'm just really appreciating that in the moment. Um, and I'm, I'm interested how I'm kind of a social and economic person. So mo- a lot of my thoughts are really social. Um, so one, I think, thing you can do is really support the doers in the community. You know, oftentimes with this work, um, some of us may rise up. We may be a face of a thing. But there are often people who are doing the work with no recognition in the community, using their own resources to get things done. So many people are flashing throughout my mind. And so I think whenever we're in these spaces or whenever you have the opportunity, really taking the time again to be intentional and to find out who is doing the work um, and supporting them, hopefully financially, right? Um, But of course, in in your support. So always kind of keeping your ear to the ground with that. Um, Centering the voices that are often um, not heard. Um, I never say give voice. You can never give voice to someone. People have their own voice. That just is a little pet peeve of mine. But centering those voices, right? Um, And so for me, that means, um, and I think we all have have alluded to it now, um, and I think I can comfortably say, even within this call, we um, we have a bit of freedom. We are probably moving through several social classes, um, and we haven't worked hard to do that, right? Um, But I know my work is for folks who are lower income um, that are not in a middle or upper class. Mm -hmm. So that's my work, right? Um, And so when I talk about centering the voices and also being a part of helping someone to move their social supports, 
um, even centering that that perspective within black spaces is yet another layer. Mm, okay. uh, so that's the kind of mantle I'm often talking about in my work, whether in nonprofits or even in schools, how are we moving the, the needle for these families that need us the most, for these students that need us the most, for these parents or adults who need us the most and looking for that, looking for that shift. And so being aware of it, but when you have the opportunity, helping to make connections for folks, right? Um, sometimes the capital, that you, the social capital that you have of making a phone call or sending a text or making a connection is going to change the, tra the trajectory of someone's life. And so yeah. us taking for granted those people we have in our phone or in our Rolodex and using it for those who really need those connections to uplift. So those would be my three um, kind of tangible um, things that folks can do um, to create this better world that Ebony is going to lead us. Uh, <laughs> Lead us and guide us. Conversation. <laughs> I just the convener. So you gotta know your role. I'm just trying the to things. Mm -hmm. People are already mm -hmm. brilliant. They already have wonderful ideas. But I love the last thing yeah. you said because a lot of time, particularly like you said, of black folk of a particular ilk that have moved classes and movers and shakers, mm -hmm. we become gatekeepers. But are you a gatekeeper that is opening the door for other people yes. and moving barriers, or you're just at a post? Right Absolutely. There. That part right gate, there, yeah. Ebony. That part right, right there. That, right? right. Is because the gate closed or open? Post, are you open? Do you tear down the gate? Why are you at the gate? Tear the gate down. <laughs> do right? you hear me? Do you do you yeah, hear me? And a, I tell you, it really, it really stood out for me when I was um when I did some work in St. Louis, I started to notice it, kind of community nonprofit, but I also felt it um at my work in East End. I worked at Peter Paul, shout outs to Peter Paul, my family over there. Um, but as I would see folks that would come in the building, I always wanted to see more of us as far as volunteers, mm -hmm. talent, treasure, or time. And I didn't see a lot. So I would have conversations kind of challenging us to do a bit more. And I get it. Like folks just moved out, <laughs> you know, they're trying to figure out what they did. But I said, somebody did it for you. Whether yes. you, you recognize them or not, somebody's something in you and they say, you know, it might've been a coach. It might have been someone at the church. It might have been someone in the neighborhood. And so I am often on my peers that, yes, there is an obligation to make sure that you don't just go back to the community, that, but that you're staying connected to the community. Because whether you know that person or not, someone needs to see you. Um, and so I'm often having that conversation, um, Ebony, about um, taking the time. I know we're all busy, and <laughs> That's our lot in life, right? We're all busy, and making sure that you prioritize folks outside of your family um, to be a light to. Yeah, we have yeah. to we have to support and encourage our own collective liberation as well. Yeah, um, so absolutely. Melody, you like no, you know, Adrienne's just, you know, I know we can't be in her all day, but, you know, <laughs> when you're talking about the work at Peter Paul and people, uh, whether it's the children, uh, the parents being able to see, you know, a reflection of themselves, I think about uh, the, the study that Stephanie over Community Foundation put together around mm -hmm. philanthropy and what our mm -hmm. idea as Black people, you know, when it comes to philanthropy is, you know, it's more than just the money, right? And, um, and, and then that made me think about the, the social capital uh, piece. Like that piece is, you know, and I talk a lot about the economics, but I, you know, and I don't want people <laughs> to 
think that it's like money, 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 but the social capital piece is, is incredibly important because it's that network, you know, others outside of our community are easily able to, um, you know, do all of the things because of a phone call or because daddy went to, you know, is an alum of a school that, you know, the, the, the head of this bank <laughs> um, also attended. And so um, we have to be intentional about this is not, you know, even when we go away to school and all black people are not afforded, unfortunately, the opportunity to go away to school. But for those that are, we have to understand that we're doing this not just for ourselves and for the advancement of ourselves, but this is for the advancement of the community. So when we Correct. get those networks, because we go to Spelman and we go to Howard and we go to Hampton and all of these schools, these are resources that we're supposed to be tapping into for the community. Correct. And I, I, I do think that the founders of these HBCUs, when they put these universities together, it was with that in mind, not for just self-service. Yeah, it was all yes. about like collective responsibility, cooperative economics. We can go down the quantum yeah. list, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. State University. I have to make sure I call my school. Out, so. <laughs> well, well, ladies, we're we're wrapping up this conversation, but thank y'all so much. And just wanted to give y'all spaces. Anything else that you, we haven't brought up and you wanted to say that would really advance racial equity in enrichment. I think we've covered a lot today, but just want to, in closing, give y'all anything, questions, thoughts that you want to leave us with in closing? I just want to say thank you um, for the invitation to have the dialogue, but also for the intention that you're putting around your work uh, and bringing, you know, being intentional about the folks that you're bringing to, to the table. We talk about representation and we talk about you know, hearing from the people that are doing the actual work and not having folks speak on our behalf. So I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. Thank you. Absolutely, yeah. And I think I'll just add, and I ditto Melody, um, just thanks for even creating this space for us, Ebony, to have this conversation. As you said earlier, all the, the Black girl vibes going on in, in the virtual room. Um, but one thing is that, um, we do a lot of listening, and listening is important. If anyone knows, I'm an active listener. It's a strong communication um, skill set for me, right? So I'm all about listening. However, <laughs> I'm also all about action and solutions, right? And so I would just want to challenge anyone who's able to view your series to really take these conversations to move them to action. We need actionable outcomes and results. Um, for Black folks right now, you know, and so um, listening is great, um, but challenge yourselves individually and, of course, you know, professionally and personally um, to really look at what's the action that I can have some responsibility for to, to change the paradigm around, around racial inequity. Um, beyond that, I just say thank you for having us, Ebony. It's been a great chat and um, just enjoy sharing this space with you both. Likewise, thank y'all for your time. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the community. And obviously your wisdom and the exuding the black, there is no uh, shortage of black girl magic in Richmond. So I'm just happy to share space with y'all. Thank y'all for listening or watching. This is Racial Equity in Richmond, the web series. I'm joined today by Melody Short, Adrian Cole Johnson. Thank you ladies. And until next time, y'all take care. Right.